everyone. Welcome to What Do You Want Me When You Grow Up? I'm Katie, and I'm your host. You know, people are always asking, like, Hey, what do you want me when you grow up? And I'm like, well, I don't know. And I don't know what to say. Because, to tell you the truth, I really don't know what I want to do when I grow up. Well, after listening to my podcast, you guys will know just what to say when people ask you that question. Because in this podcast, we talk to people about their jobs and what they do. You guys might think that you know what people do in their jobs, and then BAM! We hit you with some top-secret information about just what people do in their day-to-day job lives. Hopefully this inside information will help you decide just what you want to be when you grow up. So, what do you want to be when you grow up? What? And welcome to the next part of this incredible mini-series. I know you are just on the edge of your seat, waiting to hear the next part of my interview. So, I won't keep you any longer. Here it is. I mean, so many people nowadays are just like, oh, they see a problem, they just give you the medication. But I think it's nice that you're trying to think of a more natural way for the body to heal. Because, I mean, there's going to be, you know, side effects and long-term consequences to using so much medication. Yeah. So I think it's great. Remember, like, when I did research, every medication that you have now, they're targeting one reaction, right? But the body doesn't work that. The body's not one closed system where it's only one reaction. That one reaction affects other rea- many other reactions. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you're targeting one thing, right? But you're really going to affect many other things. Yeah. And so in medicine, if you did that way, you're always going to have to add more medicine because you'll cause some other react, chain reaction to occur, yeah. right? And that's what I teach a lot of young physicians is, look, the way that you're going to do things is you're going to affect other parts of the body. And you have to understand that. I'm very old school in that. Your brain should be like, if I'm sitting there, I would say that probably 89% of the time I already knew what the problem is before I left that room, right? And so the way I, I was taught is that you should already know what's wrong with the patient by the time you leave that room or very close. You should have about six things in your head mm-hmm. or what they call differential, what's wrong with that patient. And then any lab or any study you do, it's confirmed what your brain told you. Mm-hmm. I think that's sort of not the case now. Everybody will a shotgun like I'm doing all these labs. And I I tell people like, look, the moment anybody order lab and order x-ray and all this stuff, because they don't know what's going on. And they're trying to go backward. And that's not the case. In, yeah. in medicine, your brain sitting there asking questions. So when I'm going through, I'm trying to decipher what are things are not and what are. Mm-hmm. And by the time I leave that room, I sure I know what's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Majority of the time, I would say over 90% of the time, I already know what's wrong or very close to it. And then if I was going to do an x-ray or a lab, it's because I'm just confirming what I already knew, right? Yeah. But yeah. nowadays, I think it's, it's like All those the labs willy-nilly. I'm like, why? So I'm always about why. And it drives me insane. People do stuff that don't know why. Why do you get that antibiotic? Oh, that's what they give. Well, why? Because it's a reaction. You're doing for what bacteria you're thinking of. And how is that you going to kill that bacteria with that yeah. antibiotic, 
right? Yeah. You don't just give anybody a bike. They're all different, right? It's mm-hmm. one, it's what reaction you're doing. Yeah. So to me, a practitioner that doesn't understand why it's problematic for me. And I always go back and I teach him that part. That's always been my mentor telling me like, why do you do that? Yeah. Right. You have to ask why. Yeah. So was the training for emergency medicine any different? Did you have to go through separate training for that at all? So in emergency medicine is this, right? Since you have to know basically every field in medicine, you have to do everything, right? You have to know how to deliver babies. You have to know everything OB. You have to know anything about orthopedics. So you have to rotate with them. You have to know everything about internal medicine, pediatric, cardiology, right? You know, you have like ICU, surgery, trauma, right? Because you have trauma, car accident, like trauma, Mm -hmm. nephrology, you, you name it. I mean... Poison control, like toxicology. So in the three year, you rotate basically almost all the different field of medicine. I see. Minus, yeah, like a general. Mine, over- mine is maybe like dermatology. <laughs> you know what <laughs> I mean? Stuff that you don't see as much. Yeah. But yeah, you you rotate to literally everybody. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So that's why you have to know every aspect of medicine that way. Mm-hmm. That's why I think for me, the emergency medicine. It's probably, if you're trained really well, you really know, you're almost like second best to every specialist, right? I'm not a cardiologist, but I'm pretty sure I'm second to them. Yeah. Right? Because I have to know how to talk. I know everything that they do. I can float a swan and just do a pacemaker. I can do a lot of stuff. I can't put a stent in the heart and stuff because that's too much, right? That's really more specialized, but mm-hmm. but you know what they have to do, right? So, yeah. but yeah, that, that's why you, like in residency, you have to know. Every month you have to rotate to somebody. Yeah. Because you never know what's going to come through those doors. Yeah. Exactly. What are some of the uh, most interesting cases that you've seen? Because you mentioned trauma. you saw a lot of trauma. I'm sure you've had some stories to tell. What are some of the cool stuff I had? You know, my wife tells this story. This is one of her favorite. So I, I, I was sitting, I, I mainly do night. So I, I love night shifts. So even in Renzi, I was third year and at nighttime, your third year, you're the lead. Like, that's you. Like, anything wrong in the apartment, you're in trouble, right? Because <laughs> the attending go after you because, hey, you know, you're supposed to be teaching second year, first year, you're in charge. The flow of the ER, because you're learning to be an attending. So I had a kid come in, and she was like 14. I have no idea how she's out, like, I think it was like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Oh. I remember she was laying like this on a gurney, and she had a cup, like, the, the paramedic brought she had like one of those styrofoam cup over her eye, like this, like laying down on a gurney. <laughs> so they're rolling her by and they're, they ask my attending, they're like, should you guys take care of this or it's be trauma? And then my, my attending like lift up the cup out of there. And he's like, oh, no, 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 don't call trauma. This is ER, right? Because we're ER doc. We're like hungry for like procedure. Yeah. Like, you want this, right? So I said, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I love like stuff I don't know. So we go in and like her her eye like popped out the socket. What? Like somebody had punched mm-hmm. her on the side of the face and it popped out like this. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I'm looking and I took out a cup and I'm like, because she couldn't move, right? Because out of the socket. So I'm like, can you see me? And they're like, yeah, I see you. I was like, well, what do I look like? Because this is <laughs> Illinois. Like, there's no Asian guys there. <laughs> like, I'm one of the few Asian guys. Like, I want to know if you can really see. Yeah. Oh, you look like an Asian guy. <laughs> said, okay, you can see. So anyways, I called the ophthalmologist. Hey, I popped out. What should we be doing here? 
And he's like, and this like three o'clock morning, you call that specialist at nighttime. He's like, well, you know what you do is you take some numb the air eye up with some propercane, and then you grab a thing, some gauze, and then you pull and you pop the eye back. And if you don't, then you have to do a lateral cantotomy, which is a very rare procedure. You know, like in your whole career, you might not get to do. It. You make a slit and then like you pop it back. Oh my gosh! So the eye is like really slippery. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> so I managed like pop the eye back in there in the eye, you know. And then yeah. he said, "Yeah, make sure." And then she was able to move. She can see, you know. And the the biggest part of the emergency is like you always worry like why you send them home because they can they have a detached retina, mm-hmm. the optic nerve stuff like that. Yeah. So he said, you know, and sometimes people like three o'clock morning, like some of the special, they might be sleeping. They I don't know if they were awake or not. To so he said, yeah, follow me in the clinic and. Ideally, stuff like that, you should do like MRI, make sure there's no injury back there. But he said, yeah, send them to my... But yeah, that's one of the funny cases that my wife talked about all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that is just... It's so, so you got to pop the eyeball back in? Oh, yeah. I popped that back. It was cool. Yeah. ER doc had a weird sense of humor, though, I tell you. Sometimes you almost have to because you just see so many crazy things, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, the other thing I got, this is a good one, too. So... Okay. When you're in in a county hospital, you you get a lot of people who deal with drugs, right? So they they would inject heroin. It's very unfortunate, like a lot of people inject heroin. So they inject heroin in blood vessel. After a while, they burn all the blood vessel. So I had a guy come in and Greg Rosalini, you know, my mentor when I was a student, sent me in to see this guy. This guy's like, "Yeah, doc, I think I tore my hamstring. You know, it's like big swollen thing, torn it and." I can't walk. It's, and a lot of times people are always, you know, say that they got bitten by spider. So we always like, yeah, a spider, like a needle, you know? <laughs> and so that's what they say, because a lot of times they don't want, they, it's very painful to, because you can't get IV line. And a lot of people like cut them with num- numbing. And it's really hard to numb too. So that's what the guy said to me. And I'm like, it's naive, like, eh, yeah, sure. And I'm like pushing, I'm like, wow, that's firm. How can you tear hamstring because you know you have baseball player run to first base they always tear their their hamstring right at where they sit right that's the issue to porosity mm-hmm. but i'm like i've never seen one that that big for right so i bring go there tell the story bring greg over and greg like have you been injecting drug here yeah doc i i ran out of vein and that and i kid you not we must have had, like, you know, they have that suction cup. It's like, it's twice about this, my cup drink here. We drained that much pus out of that guy's leg. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we stuck in, like, big curlic to put it in there. And it was wow. like, it was crazy, the amount of pus in that area. It was wow. unreal. That whole leg was just pus. It, it, it wasn't <laughs> muscle. It was just all infection. <laughs> yeah. It was crazy. But that's emergency medicine for you. So, I mean, now you're... You said you're boarded in, you're doing a lot of different stuff than before. You're boarded in integrative medicine, obesity mm-hmm. medicine, and you're a physician nutrition specialist. Yeah. I was hoping you could sort of tell us what it means to be boarded and what a physician nutrition specialist is. I think at the time when I got boarded in that, uh, there was only maybe six people or something like that in California. And just understanding oh, wow. what are the different nutrients, how the setup of that in, in a medical setting. And that's what the board certification was trying to do. And then once I got out, out of the hospital, I got into obese medicine because 
I always believe, you know, my father and I talk about this, and this is his thing, but his saying to me, right? My dad always has sayings like, the road to the hospital is through your mouth. So I always believe that the food that you eat always going to contribute to whatever health it is mm-hmm. that you're going to have, right? And people can believe it or not, but it's really true, right? And so I always wanted to see what the general population or the expert thinks of obesity medicine and what's the treatment. That's mm-hmm. why I did the board certification. I don't agree with a lot of it because I just haven't been somebody who treated people a lot. I don't think those things work. And I spent a lot of time going back and looking at studies like in history, like maybe a hundred years ago. And I'm always big believe in history because a lot of really cool study have done so many years ago. And when you look at that, it gives you a perspective why you do the certain things. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I always learn because not because that's what I'm going to do. I'm learning because I want to see what exactly they're talking about. That's why I did more, um, the obesity medicine board certification. I did it in the other one in integrated medicine. One of the reasons was this. I remember a person came to me and was like, hey, Bob, there's a field that they started giving hormones to people, right? These anti-aging. And this is like, I don't know, maybe 12 years ago. And when you start hearing emergency doc go to a field, it's going to be a hot field because emergency doctor, like I told you, they get burned out. That's the half-life seven years. So <laughs> you start seeing emergency doctor like, hey, they're this ACG diet. And you see all these, hey, there's a fentamine diet. And you see emergency doctor. And then there's a anti-aging <laughs> field. Yeah. So I went in it very skeptical thinking, oh, man. But I want to hear it because these people are talking to me, right? And I, at the time, I was like 30-some, 30 38. So... I wasn't old yet. I didn't have any of those stuff. So, mm-hmm. but I was about to, I was getting into, getting closer to 40 and going to have young kids, wanting to have young kids soon, you know? So I said, okay, let me see. Maybe there is something to it. So I started studying it more and I'm like, there's a lot to it because when you age, right? Because most people like calorie in, calorie out. And I'm like, you know, you eat this amount of calorie, you gain this much weight and obesity, et cetera. But if you notice, like most of the people gain most of the weight over when they're after their 40s, right? And I'm like, mm-hmm. right? And you're like, why is that? Mm-hmm. It's because their hormones have changed, right? You don't make testosterone. You don't make growth hormone as much, right? It's hard for you to make muscle. You don't have muscle. You can't burn fuel. You're going to get fatter. You can't, you know what I mean? Your insulin's going to be higher. You're more in- resistant. The muscle has antibiotic resistance. It doesn't make muscle as well when before because you don't you don't have growth hormones high, you don't have testosterone, you don't do resistance training. So it has more antibiotic resistance. So as you age, every decade you lose like five percent of the muscle mass. By the time you're 70, you lose by about 35 to 45 percent and you gain more fat in the muscle. So anyway, so I started studying more and I loved it because a lot of my PhD was in hormones. So it makes like perfect sense to me yeah. right here's yeah. the brain the hormones and the nutrition to have that it's just another piece of the puzzle for me mm-hmm. and so that just like opened my mind to you know, a lot of things people do and a lot of them do now once they they, they sort of learn to do it and i'm like that's wrong it, it's not correct because you're not looking at a bigger picture but just just my own training i was able to see so many different view and every time i learn more i just open my span Mm-hmm. So I always think about, it helped me to develop what I call the five pillars of health, right? 
And every time I see my patient in in my clinic in primary care or integrated medicine, I always think about those five pillars that I put together over the year is that one, pillar one is about nutrition and physical activity. That's just one. Everybody think that's key. That's just one. Two is stress, like stress hormone, cortisol. It's a sign killer. Stress will break down your muscle three times. It increase your need for central meaning three times, right? Stress will cause you to increase insulin, will store fat, or it will store fat for you, cortisol, right? Next one is gut health, okay? Gut health, micronutrients, deficiency, and, and a lot of inflammatory, right? So whatever you put in your mouth, the gut itself is not just a trap, but it has digestive system. It has microbiome. And they all interconnect to hormones and nutrients with your brain, right? And the more issue you have with that, it affects your brain, but it also affects where digestion and absorption. So it decreases your absorption of micronutrients that help you to be able to carry out a lot of function, whether it bring in the macronutrient or it runs a lot of enzyme, hormones, et cetera, right? Example, like thyroid. People assume that Thyroid, you don't need selenium. You don't need enough iodine. Well, you most of the people are deficient in that. Tyrosine, right? Different vitamins. So your thyroid hormones are not going to be effective, right? So you, no matter how much you test the TSH, you 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 have the conversion from a T4 to 3, which are active. Yeah. So that's two. Uh, that's the third one. The fourth one is aging hormone, right? Ask your dad. He's 50. How do you feel now? It, it's just different. Your, your body is like, it just doesn't tolerate things. So I'm very careful about the nutrients and the aging hormone and viral toxin, right? That we lather ourselves with all sorts of personal product that has endocrine disrupting chemical, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't believe me, get an app called Think Dirty and scan all the different like sunscreen you have on there. A lot of those environmental toxins. They don't even let you use that in Hawaii because you couldn't kill the reef, but it's okay to put on your body. Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't even have nonstick pan in my house. I don't even use the turgeon in my house. I use a machine that oxidizes it. I, I don't use any turgeon. The soap I have is not Dawn. It's not any of those stuff. It's like non toxin. There's no toxic chemical. It takes harder, longer to most like wash your dishes. Right. My toothpaste doesn't have any fluoride in there. It has like probiotic, it has things that improve. The microbiome, the bacteria in the, the probiotic in your teeth. But so I always think of that as being the fourth one, right? Aging hormone, environmental toxin. The fifth one is brain health. I'm a big believer of brain health, right? Because a lot of my PhD, but I, I think in my patient, I sit there, I'll say 90% of the time, I can see that my patient has some, some aspect of the brain that's not fully functional, that's affecting how the processing of information. As you age, it gets worse because you have poor blood flow to the area. So I think about those five things and which pillar do I touch first, depending on the patient. Some mm-hmm. people are like, okay, I think you probably need to fix your nutrition first because it's affecting the gut health and it, then it's also affecting the, the stress. And you know what I mean? So yeah. which one do I... So I tap one or two first, and then I t- then after get better, then attack the other two, mm-hmm. and it just takes time, right? But I I always think about those five pillar health, and I can categorize anybody in those five five regions, and yeah. different people have different areas. What is some advice that you would give someone who's thinking about pursuing a similar career path as you? 
that's a good question because you know you, you listen when we talk for last hour or something. I'm never a traditionalist, right? So I'm not yeah. a you know it, it's so funny because my roommate in undergrad he was a sophomore of the year, right? It at the second year, right? You're the sophomore year of all the colleges. He was the sophomore of the year. I laughed the story because. I remember he got the war and he was walking with one of the professor and, and he asked him, well, what department you're in? And he said, avian. And I remember who he was like, oh, so you like playing? He said, no, it's birds. <laughs> he was an avian science, but I, yeah. I laugh at that because so he, he went to medical school straight out of college. He skipped a year. He went to he was sophomore year. He went to college, went to medical school. And then after that, he never really liked medicine. He's an administrator hostile administrator. <laughs> so I always have people think about it. It's like, look, medicine is really a field that you have to sort of be able to understand another person. And I think psychology for me really helped me with that case. And I'm glad my wife talked me into getting that degree because you're always talking to people. And I find it on a lot of, for us, physicians going through is that you don't empathize, you don't understand people, right? You just try and get work done and you it become like a job yeah so i want to remind people that in the field of medicine you deal with a lot of people's lives mm-hmm. and a lot of different psychological things that happen to them a lot of emotion and understanding people to me become really truly thing that's most underrated because every one of us always think about grades, right? Because you have to be the top of the top to get in medical school because you have to have the ability to gather information in a very short period of time, be able to recycle the information fast. You got to read fast, which I'm not a fast reader. You know what I mean? (laughs) But you have to be able to do that. That's one. But two is that if you don't have the people skill, I don't think medicine is really for you, Mm -hmm. right? And some people go like radiology and stuff like that. But even then, it's just a feel medicine, take maturity, take a person. So it makes you wonder. So that's one of the things I like about osteopathic is that everyone that was there was already older. Like like when I went in, I was like 26. Most of the medical students were more like in traditionally in any medical, it's like they're 22 or something. But you can see the difference in how we talk to people. You're just different. You know what I mean? So I think to me, going to medical school really should have not just about getting the science, but I think you really need somebody to understand the fact that these are people that you're going to be talking to. Yeah. And sometimes as physician, I think we sort of lose that. And that's really a shame. But that's one thing I always push on my student. But I'll leave you with this. It, it was a, uh, the reason that got me thinking about it was a, a documentary that I saw very early in my career. I remember a physician showed me the documentary. It was a physician who was going to residency, and he was in a residency in oncology, okay, so cancer. So during his second year, he developed cancer. Wow. And that's when he realized what it means to be a patient. patient. Yeah. Because he didn't realize when he wrote a prescription, it took him a day to get. He had to get on a bus. He couldn't drive anymore at that time. He had his cancer gotten further along. Mm-hmm. Had to take a bus. Had to go to a different farms to get it. And by the time he went home, he was so tired. He already spent a whole day. He ended up dying at the end of the, the documentary. Oh. 
But what it taught me was that just because you wrote somebody a prescription, it doesn't mean you did anything for them. And I remind my young physician and provider that is that you didn't do anything for people. You wrote that prescription. If they couldn't afford to buy it, you didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. If you wrote prescription that cost so much money and so much side effect, you didn't do anything. Yeah. Just because you wrote a prescription, it didn't make you a physician. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's what I would say to people who want to go in the field is that emergency, in the medicine itself, you're going to have to sacrifice a lot. Yeah. There's a time when I remember the first eight years, I never celebrate my birthday. I was always in the hospital in school. Mm-hmm. So that's the first time when I was out, I was like, look, I am not ever going to work on my birthday again. <laughs> that's my main rule, right? Because you're going to sacrifice when people yeah. home on Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year, you're going to be working. Somebody's going to be working, mm-hmm. right? So just think of those things is that the sacrifices you're going to have to make to become a physician. It's not a weekend warrior type thing. And the second part is that you're going to have to expand your mind and there's going to be lives in your hand and you better understand people. Mm-hmm. Okay. And third thing is just, just because you can write a prescription doesn't make you a physician. Wow. Or at least a good one. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that advice. It's really deep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and thank you for talking to me today. Well, guys, that's it. I'm Katie, your host. And thank you so much for listening to today's episode of What Do You Want Me When You Grow Up? Hopefully you guys learned a lot. And if you want to learn more about the person I interviewed today, check the show notes for a link. Well, guys, I'll see you next time. Katie out.